Well, they recently released the awards for the best drone photos of the year. I don't know if you're into this, but drones are those, you know, little uh, creepy big brother, you know, helicopter things you see flying around and, and they have, you know, usually some form of a camera attached to it and you can control it and take video and, and, and photography. And, and so they have this contest of what's the best drone photo that's taken this year. And, and as I was looking through these this week, I was thinking, what an incredible perspective you get uh, from a different vantage point. When you see things a little bit different, all of a sudden you, you can see new things. And, and actually third place was a great example of this to me of, of something you do not normally get unless you have a different perspective. I wanna show you, uh, this is third place. Uh, this one was very uh, just intriguing to me uh, because what you're actually looking at are uh, shadows. See, this is directly on top of uh, two people and then their dogs. And what you're seeing is the sun cast a shadow which makes them larger than life on the beach. And as I was staring at this, I was thinking, what an incredible shot, you know, captured in time to, to see these giant, you know, shadows being cast and, and how the sunlight had to be just perfect and they both have dogs, so it's kind of a cool thing. And, and I was like, what a great perspective you get. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking that's really what we're going for in our whole Grounded series is, is how do we have a different kind of perspective when it comes to God? And so I wanna welcome you here today. We're so glad you're here. My name is Jeremy and I'm the lead pastor here. And whether you're with us in person or you're watching or listening online or, or via a podcast, uh, we're just grateful you're a part of this. And we're continuing this series as we ask a question that, that every one of us asks, no matter if you have been a Christian as long as you can remember, or if you are just starting out and you've got a lot of questions, we're glad you're here as well. But here's the question, where is God? When, when, you know, things are tough, when, when you feel lonely, when you feel like things don't make sense, where is God? And, and if God is real, shouldn't we have some sense about what he's up to? Now, we've been going through looking at how does creation reveal God to us? And, and the first one, we began the sky. And I made this argument that your view of the sky shapes your expectations of God. Then last week, we talked about fire. I said the fire reminds us that God is always in motion. And if you missed either one of those weeks, you can go online and you can watch those on our Facebook or our YouTube channels. And we'd love for you to, to be a part of this series together with us. Now, if you've got your journals, go ahead and get those out. And we're in week three. And we encourage you, bring these with you, keep notes, uh, use them for your personal study, use it for your life group time. This is a great aid uh, for you and be able to reference back to them later. And go to week three, and today's topic, I'm so excited. Today's topic is sweat. Have you ever heard a sermon on sweat? Come on, this is gonna be fun. So uh, a lot of you are gonna be really intrigued of how I'm gonna connect all these dots, but it's gonna be amazing, all right? So what we've been doing each week of the series uh, is, is reading a poem to get our imaginations going uh, to whatever the topic is. And so today I would like to read a poem called Sweat. There's actually sweat poetry. You guys didn't know this. This is from Miguel Hernandez. It says, water drinks its paradise in the sea and sweat finds horizon uproar crest. Sweat is a brimming, salty tree, a greedy surf. To offer the land its trembling cup, sweat reaches from earth's farthest age, feeds thirst and salt drop by drop to kindle life. Sun's cousin, tears brother, Motion's child, April to October, winter to summer, it goes rolling through the field in golden vines. Let's pray together. God, would you help us to find you in the sweat today? 
as we look at your creation, as we ask this tough question of where are you, may you reveal yourself to us in new ways. May you open our eyes. May we not just see you, but may we experience you more today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you would get your Bibles out, we're gonna be in Genesis chapter 32. And so if you've got a physical Bible with you, go all the way back to the beginning of it. Genesis is the first book there. And if you've got a Bible app on a phone, I encourage you to get that out and get your spot ready. Uh, We're gonna be in Genesis 32 in just a second. If you've been with us so far in this series, you know that we've been trying something where we're giving you guys a platform to ask questions. And so as I get into these topics, a lot of times I'm looking at ideas that maybe you've got more questions about. And and so we encourage you to ask ask your questions and then midway, week, I go on and I answer uh, a few of the the top rated questions. So the way you can do that is go to Slido. Uh, We've been telling you about this last couple weeks, but uh, you enter the the code grounded and you can ask any question about that and I'll read through those. And uh, you can also vote on questions. So if someone else has a question, you're like, oh, I want to know the answer to that one. You can vote that up. And and then midweek, we'll look at those and and take a number of those and we'll record a response video to that. And you can see the the videos on our Facebook from the last couple weeks. Uh, It's been a, a, a really a fun time getting into the questions that you guys have. And it allows me to explore some things that uh, maybe I normally wouldn't do on the weekend, uh, but we have time to do it in that environment. So I encourage you, uh, as we go today, and you're going, hey, I got some sweat questions, uh, go ahead and ask those and uh, we'll get into that uh, this week. Now, as we get ready, uh, let me explain that you have two different types of sweat glands. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, you have two types. The first type is called eccrine. And the eccrine gland is what uh, regulates your temperature when you're hot. The second one is called apocrine. And this one's more fun. This is, you know, stress or anxiety or fluctuating hormones. Uh, this is where you get a lot of the odor of smell, you know, that, that goes with sweat. And, and so your body sweats for different reasons in different situations. Uh, this is why we would say, well, yeah, I was sweaty, but you could be sweaty in all different circumstances. Like, like maybe we're in the middle of the summer heat wave and your air conditioning goes out and you go, oh, I was sweaty. Or you're on a first date with someone and you go a little sweaty or, or you're interviewing for a job and you're sweating or you're finishing up a workout or you're testifying in court. See, all these would be situations in which you might sweat, but you're sweating for a variety of reasons. Now, if you look at marketing, marketing has convinced us that sweating should be embarrassing that you should be ashamed of it, you should cover it, you should hide it. Uh, Whatever you do, do not acknowledge that you sweat. I mean, think about if someone has a pit stain on their shirt. It's not a badge of honor. Uh, We're usually like, should we tell them? Should we tell them that there's pit stains? It's a little bit embarrassing. And you can trace this idea back for a long time uh, to the original marketing ads when it came to how do we deal with sweat? And and in particular, the, the deodorant industry and how do we respond to that? They sold it basically on the premise of you are embarrassed by your sweat. Now, I was looking at some early ads, and I think a lot of these are from the 50s, but I want to show you uh, how they began to market against sweat. Check out the logic here, right? Here's the first one. If you long for romance, don't let your dress offend with armhole odor. <laughs> how did we lose that phrase? Like, that's an incredible <laughs> phrase. Let's bring it back. Hey, man, I think you got some armhole odor going on. You know, I don't know. That's, that's amazing. Here's the next one. Within the curve of a woman's arm, a frank discussion of a subject too often avoided. (laughs) Next one. Beautiful but dumb. She has never learned the first rule of lasting charm, a long-lasting deodorant. (laughs) 
Tell us how you really feel, marketers. Okay, next one. The most humiliating moment in my life when I overheard the cause of my unpopularity among men. Sweat. One more. And men can be such awful gossips too. Let's face the truth about underarm perspiration odor. Now, what do you notice about those ads? It's all aimed at women. Why? Because it was considered masculine for men to smell. It was considered masculine for men to sweat. Now, you might look at that and you go, Psh, we have come so far. We are not those people anymore, are we? Because here's what I like to suggest. We still have that built into us based on marketing. Because here's what we'll say. Oh, men sweat, but women don't sweat you. Glisten. How do you know how to finish that sentence? Oh, I don't, I don't sweat. I just, I glisten. Really? Well, some of you women glisten more than men sweat. So call it what you want to call it. We all sweat. And yet there's something inside of us like, no, no, not, not me. I don't, I, I don't sweat. I don't have that same problem like other people do. Let, let me go first. I'll be vulnerable, okay? Let me tell you about the weirdest thing about me when it comes to sweat. I sweat in really weird ways if I eat spicy food. Don't know why, I just do. I enjoy spicy food, but I'll start beating up sweat on my forehead and then right here, okay? And to the point where uh, my wife has very lovingly and graciously asked me, hey, if we're having dinner with like guests, can you not order spicy food? Because this is a little bit weird to watch you sweat while we're all eating dinner. <laughs> totally get it, yep, that's I, I, so fine. So I try to avoid it, I enjoy it, but I try to avoid it if I'm around people because I don't wanna you know, make them uncomfortable. And, the other night, uh, we were having just a family dinner. I wasn't really thinking about it. And uh, we were e evidently eating something that my body found spicy. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of dinner, my eight-year-old just says, why is dad sweating? I'm like, oh, I don't, yeah, I didn't notice it. You know, like all of a sudden. So sweat is that part. But here's what you think about. When you sweat, how do you feel about it? You, you probably don't feel great. You probably try to cover up. You probably feel a little bit embarrassed. And what we have to realize is that marketing has done such a number on us when it comes to sweat. And what's the overall point? If you were to conclude all of what marketing says when it comes to sweat, is that sweating is bad. Don't do it. Uh, act like you, you don't, you know, it's not a problem for you. And if you do have sweat, cover it up at all costs. And yet here's what I want to suggest is that biologically, sweating is really good for your body. It's a natural part of your body behaving the way your body should. Now, at this point, you're going, what on earth are we talking about in church? How does this have to do with God? I'm glad you asked. Here's what I wanna suggest, is that sweat is the healthy result of wrestling with God. Sweat is the healthy result. Now, we can't even get to the idea of sweat as healthy until we move past what marketers have told us. But I wanna take this to a spiritual level now and go, look, there should be a part of your experience with God that should involve sweat. Now, at this point, you might be going, okay, I know what he's gonna say. He's gonna give us a list of things that we've gotta do better on, you know, avoid this, do more of this, be more disciplined, be a better person. And then we, you know, if we sweat it out, then all of a sudden, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm gonna invite you to experience God in perhaps a new way today, in perhaps a way that you've never really explored God before. So let's read together. If you're with me in Genesis 32, we're gonna begin reading in verse 24. I wanna show you a guy, a story of a guy named Jacob. And this is a story, if you've read this before, uh, you may have just 
kept on reading because it's just a strange story. It's one of those, we often don't know what to do with it. And, and so we may draw some conclusions, but then we move on. But I think this story has profound implications for our lives today. Who says in Genesis 32, verse 24. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, that's the beginning of the story. I was reading commentaries, and it, uh, my favorite commentary line about this, it just says, this sentence is abrupt. Yeah, it is, you know? Like, that's all the commentaries are pointing out. Like, we get into this story really quickly, don't know a lot of details, it's just into it. Jacob's alone, he's wrestling with a guy all night. Verse 25, when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. What? What is going on here? Now, this is not a random little bit character in in the Old Testament. This is one of the three great patriarchs. Have you ever heard of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? This is that Jacob. His grandfather is Father Abraham. I mean, this is like a big deal. And this is how he's experiencing God in a new way. Now, a lot of people ask the question, who exactly is he wrestling with? Is this a man? Is it an angel? Is it God? Uh, Well, you have to understand a lot of times in the Old Testament in particular, uh, God and an angel are used interchangeably, which I understand is weird for us. But usually if an angel isn't named, it's usually a representation of God. And that's what you see here, because in verse 28, it says you have wrestled with God. You have struggled with God, not you struggle with some angel or some random man, but this is God. Now, now you got to ask the question, okay, so Jacob is wrestling with God and he wins? Come on. How did God do that? What's going on? Did he have an illegal hold that he knew about? You know, did Jacob trick God? What is going on? How did Jacob win? What you'll realize as we go is that this isn't always true when we wrestle with God, but but it at least was true for Jacob that somehow he won. Now, it's, it's tempting when you explain this passage to dismiss it as, oh, this is metaphorical. They were discussing. They were having a debate. They had tea, you know, and they were just going back and exchanging it, just using words. No, the word for wrestling in this text is the word abak, which is a fun word to say when you're alone later today. Abak. But this word has connotations of dust. You're going, why does this have to do with dust? It's the idea of getting dusty. That that when two people are wrestling together, it's not just a friendly discussion. They are getting dusty in the process as they roll around on the ground wrestling with one another. It's a very physical, tangible word. So Jacob physically wrestles with God all night long. Is God okay with this? Like this is very strange. And yet notice that God gives Jacob a blessing. They're going, okay, well, did, did Jacob take the blessing by force? And most of the way that I hear people explain this passage just creates a very strange theology. Like, yeah, well, God didn't want to, but Jacob took it from him. Okay, so now God's not the one in control anymore and God just lost and, and Jacob just happened to outmaneuver him. What's going on here? Well, let me give you another way to, to consider this passage. We usually read this as Jacob was, you know, some real jerk and he was wrestling with God and he had a bad attitude about it and he tried to take something from God. 
But what if it wasn't that kind of a setup? Let me go to my own life. I am the dad of four boys. If I want to be close to my boys, if I want to hug them, um, it's a little tricky to do. If I walk in the room, I go, hey, boys, who wants to give dad a hug? No one's leaving the couch for that, okay? They're all gonna look at me and be like, no, sorry, dad, we're busy. But if I walk in the room and say, who wants to wrestle? Everybody's off the couch, we're rolling around. It is like an incredible thing. And here's what I know. As a dad, one of the easiest ways for me to physically be close to my boys is to wrestle them. It is to roll around, to get dusty with them. And guess what? It doesn't take long before we are all sweaty in the process. Guess what happens when you wrestle? We get sweaty and sometimes we'll show walk in the room and she's like, I don't even wanna know what's going on. You know, it's like we're all dripping sweat and pillows are everywhere. And there's just something about that, but it's a way for me as a dad to be intimate with my boys. Now I also have a daughter and she likes wrestling, not quite as much, but her thing is dad chase me. I want you to chase me. And so I'll chase her on the house. And, and when I finally catch her, it's getting harder as she's getting older. When I finally catch her, uh, that's when I get to hold her. Well, what's going on here? If you were to, to pop in during one of our wrestling matches and go, oh my goodness, his kids are so rude to their father. Do they not respect him? Why would they challenge him in this way? You would be completely missing the point. It's not my kids challenging me. It's not them trying to show me disrespect. They love the experience. They get to feel held. They get to have that embrace as well. It's a moment of intimacy. And it's not just for dads and kids. Michelle will get in on the mix as well. There's something about that that we understand that, that sometimes when you are held close, it doesn't always happen when you just say, hey, come in and give me a hug. See, me wrestling and getting sweaty with my kids is a sign of intimacy. What if it were the same with God? What if we re-evaluated you know, this whole paradigm and said, what if Jacob really was just trying to experience more of God? What if it wasn't deceiving God or challenging God or, or trying to combat God, but what if he just wanted to know God in a more intimate way? Could, could we do the same thing today? So here's one of the things I would suggest to you. It's okay to tell God, you're not okay. You know, I'm amazed how often in Christianity you hear the opposite message. Oh, you don't say that to God. You don't vocalize that. You, you, you just bury that down deep. Um, I don't know if you've ever read the Psalms. There's some crazy stuff in the Psalms. People crying out to God, people expressing things to God. Things that you would say are not instructive to us in the sense of don't just copy and paste that into your own life. That is them in a relationship with God, crying out to God. There's one Psalm that talks about may they, you know, dash the babies of their enemies against the rocks. And you're like, wait, what? What are we supposed to do with that? What you realize is that is this, this inner angst and violence and something that's deep inside of us that we shouldn't act out on, but God's evidently okay with hearing it. God is evidently okay to create space for us to go, this is how I feel. This is what's going on in my life right now. So let me ask you, what are you feeling that you've never told God? What anger is inside of you that you've never told God? And maybe it's aimed at God. What frustrations do you have in your life that you've never told God? What are those questions that you have that you, you just don't have an answer to, but you keep asking? 
What are those doubts that you have? And, and maybe you were told you shouldn't have doubts, but you do have doubts. And, and you wonder, can I take those to God? What pain is in your life that you wonder, can I take this to God? And how often can we take it to him? Notice that Jacob wrestled with God all night long. It's not like a real quick little bout. It is all night long. So often what I, I find is that we'll pray a prayer one time, maybe twice, and then we move on. God didn't answer it. He heard me. I'm, I'm going to move on. And what we're showing is, God, I'm not going to wrestle with you on this. I already asked it. And if you said no, then I'm fine. What if you kept asking? What if you kept going back to God? If you get, hey, God, it's me again. Remember that thing we're talking about? Yep. I still care about it. I still want to talk to you about it. Let's, let's keep going. Can you wrestle with God in this way? Let me give you another way to think about this. Imagine if a personal trainer came to you and said, hey, uh, I want you to sign up for my program because I'll get you in the best shape of your life. And you're like, mm, sounds interesting. He goes, oh, let me sweeten the deal. Not only will I get you in the best shape of your life, but you will never have to break a sweat. Wouldn't that be incredible? You're like, where do I sign up? That's amazing, right? It would sound very appealing, but I suspect that in most of us, there'd be a little bit of skepticism there. Like, okay, you're gonna get me in the best shape of my life and I don't have to sweat. What product are you selling? What, what, you know, what's the catch? What's the thing that I have to buy that's somehow going to make this work? Because we intuitively know there's, there's part of the journey that shapes the destination. So, oh, if I want this destination, I probably should expect a little bit of sweat in the process. Now, let me ask you this question. Are you trying to follow God without sweating in the process. Oh, I wanna be real close to God. I wanna, I wanna intimately know God. I wanna experience God. But I'm not gonna sweat. I'm not gonna wrestle. I, I just want everything to be great. It might sound appealing, but I hope you'd be a little bit skeptical of, of you know what, part of that journey maybe is gonna involve some wrestling, some sweating with God to get to the experience that we want. Maybe you'd be going, well, I don't know. I, I know. I, Jacob's just one example. I don't know if God really is okay with this. L let me give you what I think is the most compelling reason why we should be wrestling and sweating with God. Is that if you look to Jesus and you go, what, what did Jesus do? And, and, and Jesus as like the ultimate example that we could follow, and obviously we're gonna fall short of that, but we can look to Jesus and go, show us what we should do. How did Jesus interact with God the Father? How did Jesus make sense of what he was going to do and, and, and make sense of the will of God as, as he was fully God and, and also fully man? Well, if you go to the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, before he's arrested, you, you see a very vulnerable moment with Jesus as he is wrestling with God. I wanna tell you what Luke says in chapter 22, verse 44. And being in anguish, Jesus prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Now, what's going on here? He's sweating so extremely that it's blood coming out, which sounds bizarre, but it's scientifically possible. That there's something happening. And you go, well, what's the context? Why, why is he sweating like that? If you know the story, Jesus asking God the Father, is there another way? Can we avoid the cross? Can we avoid what I know is about to happen? And he is pleading with the Father, please, there's gotta be another way to do this. And as he's pleading, as he's considering this, he is sweating blood. You wanna talk about wrestling 
with God. This is Jesus doing it. And here's what's so profound. If you look at this story, Jesus doesn't win the wrestling match. He gets told no. There is no other way. I know you want another way. I know you're looking for something else. This has to happen like this. And Jesus literally says, if it's possible, can we do it another way? And the answer is no, it's not possible. See, Jacob wins his wrestling match. Jesus loses his. And what you realize is the point is not the answer to to what you get. It's the process of wrestling with God, of going to God so honestly, so vulnerably, and allowing God to meet us there. You see, we follow a God who sweats and invites us to do the same. So let me ask you, have you wrestled with God long enough to break a sweat? As you think about where is God? How do I know what God is doing in my life? Have you wrestled with God? Have you engaged God in this way long enough to break a sweat? And hopefully you're going, I don't know. I don't know that this was available to me. I didn't know that God was okay with this. I want to read a great quote from Leslie Newbegin. It says, one does not discover the purpose for which a watch exists by examining its parts. So you can dissect a watch. You can take it apart. You can understand the mechanics behind it. But it will not help you get the point of a watch. You have to wear a watch. You have to go through your day with a watch on to understand the point of a watch. And God is the same way. So we want to study God, examine God, dissect God, you know, take all these things about God and learn about him. That's great. But if you don't ever experience God, you will never get it. If you don't ever wrestle with God, God's just not going to fully make sense to you. There is an invitation to experience him greater. And after we do, you'll never be the same person again. After Jacob wrestles with God, God changes him. Now he changes them in a variety of ways, but primarily God changes his name. And, and, and in this culture, that was a very symbolic way of, of how you identified it. it was your name. See, Jacob uh, meant he who grasped the heel, which was an idiom for the deceiver. And the deceiver really sums up Jacob's life for the most part. That's a really accurate name for how he lived. But God, in the story we just read, God changes his name. And what does he change it to? Israel. You know what Israel means? He who struggles with God. See, God says, you know what? Because of this moment, because you wrestled with me, this will now define you. This will now be who you are. Now, not only does God change his name, change who he is, but God physically alters him as well. He leaves them different. And if you keep reading in Genesis 32, verse 31 tells us this. The sun rose above Jacob as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Now, we normally read this when we go, oh, that's what you get. You challenge God. God gave you a limp. They'll, they'll serve you right. I don't think that's what's going on. So I think God said, Jacob, I don't want you ever to forget the night I changed your name. I want you to remember this night for the rest of your life. And so I'm going to give you a physical reminder. And for the rest of his days, Jacob, who had become Israel, limps around to remember how God changed him in the process of wrestling. Have you ever experienced God like that? I think back to 12 years ago in my life. 
and uh, we were early years of our marriage and uh, very normal, uh, er, you know, newlyweds in a lot of ways. And so we had a, a five-year plan that we had agreed to, Michelle and I, that we would enjoy wedded bliss for five years. Then we'll get to kids. And I had, you know, the very normal view of kids. I wanted two of them, a boy and a girl. Uh, we'll start at five years. We'll spread them out nice and easy. And, and I would say things like, well, how many kids can we afford? You know, I'm a pastor. We can't afford a lot. So let's go do that. And I just had a very culturally normal view of kids. And so I remember about two years into our marriage, uh, finding out that there's some medical things going on. And, and we sit down with a doctor who tells us, hey, uh, you guys have some medical complications. You may not be able to have kids. And we're like, what? Yeah, and, and here's the deal. We're so concerned about this that if you want kids biologically, you need to try now uh, because your window of opportunity is quickly closing. I'm only two years into my marriage. I'm not thinking about kids for another three years. And so I, I remember going, God, this, this isn't the plan. Uh, we're on five years here. Uh, and so what do you mean we gotta start now? And I, I remember just being annoyed with God. Like this is not how we wrote this up. But we're like, all right, fine. Let's, let's you know, we'll start our family now, I guess. And, and we'll have kids younger than we thought. And so Michelle and I go, all right, let's, that's what we'll do. We'll just move, you know, move it up three years. And so we begin trying to get pregnant. A couple months go by and no big deal. And a couple more months goes by and then month after month goes by and we're not pregnant. Some of you have been there. This is your story. And we go month after month and then a year passes and we're not pregnant. And you begin to ask some deep, deeper questions like, is this ever gonna happen for us? You know, that window already closed. This is this not a reality? And a month after month month keeps going by. And every month that goes by, there is a bitterness, a resentment inside of me building and building and building. And I remember somewhere about a year and a half into this process, uh, we were at a, a prayer event at our church and there's different stations you could go to. And one of the stations was, uh, it was built around a punching bag. And there's this punching bag in the center and there's a, a notepad and it just said, write out anything you wanna wrestle with God over. And it was designed just to be one station and you'd spend a couple minutes there and you'd move on. But that night, I spent all my time in this one station. And I remember just writing furiously, just writing down everything in my heart, things that I had thought, but I have never vocalized. God, why won't you answer this prayer? Where are you? Why are you silent right now? Why would you give me the desire to be a dad if you will not answer this prayer? prayer, if you will not support me in this. God, why do you give kids to people who don't want kids and you don't give kids to people who do? I mean, I started just saying things, just writing things out, all of this frustration and bitterness, and I just leveled it at God. And I remember tears in my eyes just writing these things down, being so mad at God. When this makes no sense. Your will makes no sense. I don't understand this. I, I, how am I supposed to follow you? How am I supposed to tell other people about you if I can't even make sense of this? And I remember just grieving through all of the emotions that I was feeling. And, and so what we had done is we had taken one medication that was kind of a, a low-grade medication to try to help our, our chances. And, and they said, hey, if, if this doesn't work, you're gonna have to go to some serious stuff to try it. And, Michelle and I just didn't feel like that was right for us. And so uh, we basically got to the, the last month of the one that we were trying. And they said, hey, here, here's the reality. If you don't get pregnant this month, you have to go off this medication. It's, it's probably not gonna work. 
And so I'm, I'm just so raw, so vulnerable, so frustrated with God. And I remember going to our life group and Michelle and I just said, hey, we gotta tell you something we've never told you, um, that, that we've been trying for about a year and a half to get pregnant. And it hasn't happened and we're on this medication and it's the last month of it. And if it doesn't happen this month, uh, probably not going to be something that we were able to do. And they were all shocked and oh, we had no idea. And so we just said, would you, would you pray with us? Um, and would you just join us in this? And, and, and just a very uncomfortable, vulnerable time. So our group prays for us and uh, we spend that month just praying. And it just so happened that that month we get pregnant with Gavin. Now you can tell me, oh, that's just a coincidence. That wasn't a coincidence. That was God changing me to a different person. Now, the reality is our story uh, had a great ending to it. We, we were able to have Gavin and, and, and that forever changed things. But what you have to understand is it's not that we got the answer we were looking for. It was the journey of wrestling with God that forever changed me. See, what I didn't realize at the time, but I can realize now, is that God was changing my heart. God was turning me to a different person. If you would have told the 22-year-old version of me, uh, hey, I know you're gonna get married soon and you're all this and you're excited, but uh, here's the deal. You think you're gonna have two kids? You're not. You're gonna have five kids. You're gonna foster two of them and then adopt those two. Doesn't that sound amazing? I would have never believed you because I was a different guy then. But during the process of wrestling with God, God changed me forever. And I started realizing I'm not owed children. Children are a blessing. And if I get the blessing to, to have them, I will raise them accordingly. I will, I will realize what I have been entrusted with. And God totally changed my view of kids. Now, he also physically gave me a limp as well. The day Gavin was born, I started getting gray hair. <laughs> I kid you not. And now if you look up top, there's a whole lot of gray going on. And it's been 10 years of gray happening. And you're going, what? What's the deal? When my kids make fun of me for my hair color, I just look at them and go, that's because of you. It's because of you and you and you and all of you. I physically am different. See, sweat is a healthy result of wrestling with God. You may not get the answer you're looking for, but if you wrestle with God, you will never be the same again. I'm gonna close with something that Beth Moore says. She says, walking and running aren't the only means of forward motion in the quest of faith. Wrestling can qualify. Hold on to Jesus and roll forward. Let's pray together. Jesus, I lift up anyone who's with us today and anyone watching this right now who is carrying something heavy and they have not felt like they could share this with you. They have not felt the space or that it was appropriate to wrestle with you in this way. I pray that they would see the invitation before them to experience you. Not as someone who dissects a watch, but someone who wears a watch and understands the purpose. That we would not just learn about you, but that we would know you. We would experience you. That you would Wrap us in your arms as a loving father does. That you would hold us close in the midst of our confusion and our pain and our struggle. And that as we've seen, that we will never be the same person again. 
God, we realize we will not necessarily get all that we ask you for, but you are inviting us to ask. You are inviting us to seek you out, to experience you in this way. And I pray that we would be a different church as a result, that we would be those who have wrestled with you, who have been changed in the process, and who know where you are in the midst of what we're going through. May we experience Jesus in this way, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.